Hey, we're live on the Facebook channel, my uh, Facebook channel, which is uh, facebook.com, Pam Electric Ghost. And we have singer-songwriter from New York City, Lulu. And uh, we're going to thank you for being on the show, Lulu. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we've started, to, we've been a podcaster since 2018. And uh, we just started to get into video podcasting on StreamYard and Facebook. Could we find the fans um, actually get connected better? Um, through uh, this type of podcast. So we, we find that this actually has a bit bigger impact. Yeah, so we're all stuck at home somewhere, more or less. Yeah, right. I guess everybody's used to a Zoom call. Yes, <laughs> So it's not that different. <laughs> but um, yeah, we can make change angles a little bit, but you know, here it looks better. Um, yeah, so you're Italian born, uh, Brooklyn based songwriter and vocalist. I'm not going to try to miss your name. How do, how do you say your first name? I don't uh, want to mess it up. Yeah, but I mean, in the States, a lot of people mispronounce it. So I just go by Lulu, um, also sort of in real life. Not yeah, just that's why I, I figured. Name. Yeah. So it's like you've, you've got a really um, you know, striking voice. And what I found, um, it just from from I, I'm a music you know, like yeah, historian and you know I like what I like to listen to. I, I hear a little bit of Carol King, because I'm a big fan of Tapestry, and then a lot of North like a feel like a kindred spirit with uh, Nora Jones. Yeah, thank you. That's a great compliment. Um, Nora Jones definitely like has been an influence for me. Um, together with like Anyone House, Adele, this sort of like yeah. voice and melody. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm more of like a Motown girl. So uh, yeah. I had, I think, like Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson and all that, um, you know, sort of music. But uh, definitely like Nora Jones, I really love her. She I like I like your sing, singer songwriter craft. Like I bring up that Carol King, you know, because she was like a big writer for, for yes. a lot of that type of stuff. And um, yeah, the Motown references, like I always tell people like, I'm always listening to the drummers from Motown because they were like so core in a lot of those hits. It's like how like a Purdy Shuffle and all the other things that would go along with the Funk Brothers and the other stuff that was going on there. But it's just so well crafted. And when you hear people, you know, I mean, I use 808s, I use 909s, I use, but there's nothing like a real drummer yes. <laughs> laying something down. And if you're doing that kind of sound, like an Amy Winehouse sound or a Nora Jones, that would sound it's kind of cool to have that real piano and a real, you know, guitar. Yeah, it just feels more intimate. Mm -hmm. yeah. But so I'll get into like the, the opening question, which is always like for every artist we talk to is when did you first get into music? Like what age? Uh, and we can kind of start from there. Uh, so like big disclosure, I never really um, studied music. So I guess I always had a tendency and a lot of like love for music. I used to listen to like albums, like whatever time of day and night, even when I was a kid, uh, did the whole like being part of choirs at school and, you know, like playing with friends in the beach and stuff like that. So that's what, like how I started. Um, when I was a kid, I, um, I've always been sort of like insecure on music at first, especially when I was younger, um, because I never really studied, you know, like all my friends, they were into music. Um, they went to like the conservatory and like study for like 12 years. And then I had no really um, like a background on that. 
Um, so that has kept me always kind of like shy on the music front. Um, I guess when I was like 18, 19, um, I started like performing in like my hometown, kind of like out of nowhere, uh, like a few friends um, convinced me and I did it. And then since then, um, you know, my music school has sort of been like performing in bars um, when I was like younger. And from then, you know, I, I'm here today. Like, well, I'm, I'm a strong, I'm a strong believer in that. Cause I, I you know, my age, I'm at 52, like I'm a child of the seventies, right? So I, uh, you know, started before the net in like garage bands and basement bands. Yeah, that's uh, the best. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of like we were playing at pizza joints and, you know, playing in, like, I lived in Western Mass, so we played, like, in Amherst here, mm -hmm. like, the UMass and all those colleges, like, the five-college yeah. area. And that's, you know, and at, at that time, you think about, like, 78, 79, 80, like, like you know, the beginning of the, well, punk and then new wave. And so I was kind of really inspired by, like, MTV generation and the punk yeah. aesthetic, like the clash. And so I was kind of like, okay, let's just do it ourselves. Let's go out there. And like, we felt the passion of like bands like the clash. And we, I mean, I grew up listening to Smokey Robinson and the miracles. And it was like, kind of just absorbed everything. My dad was a big <clears throat> record collector. Yeah. And so like, I totally get that. I mean, I was trained on a clarinet, but that's wow. not really a writing instrument. <laughs> yes. So, so they like, but I jumped into like rock bands. Like I wasn't formally trained. I didn't go to Berkeley. I'm like, but I just had a passion for it. Like most yeah. musicians, like you feel you got it and you just feel like you got to do it and you just go out, whether or not somebody trained you or not, you just, you yeah, got, I hear your voice, feeling. you got it. <laughs> yeah. Best feeling of, you know, having the connection, like with the other people you're playing with and it's just like, yeah, you feel like you have to do it and like you belong there in that moment. That's, I think, sort of like what we're all missing during this <laughs> infinite yeah. year. Then <laughs> it's not so so you've been working on music since you discovered that you're a big fan, you know, as a teenager, you were into it, you were listening. And I think a lot of people realize like every musician is like a fan of other musicians, you know, like musicians yeah, kind of like, yeah. yeah, we kind of build each other up. Like we always, we have our influences, you know, we, we, we have our own idols and people that we gravitate toward and, and we naturally kind of, like, like all my influences are bared when I'm playing. Like if I like Sun Ra, then I'm going to have some jazz Sun Ra might show up in my work, you know, some, the Miles Davis might show up in my work, you know, it's a parliament yeah. funkadelic. Not that I'm trying to do that. It's just because I, I, you listen to so much that it just kind of comes through you. <laughs> yes, no, for sure. I mean, I, I feel like I've done like a lot of listening, even more than singing or playing. Uh, I think the first, like, rule if we have to put a rule for like musicians is to just like listen a lot uh both you know live i mean i i live in new york so it, before covid it had um, a great offering in terms of like shows and you yeah. could really see like your idols here which is like amazing but also like listening to a lot of like records i mean it helps a lot um putting together like your character as a musician and sort of defining like you are musically yeah i think i mean i end up going to new york because like new hampshire is a cool place to live but everybody's just like into folk music not that that's bad but i'm an electronic experimental artist i can't really get a good fan base here so i have to usually go to boston around fenway park they have some clubs there to do what i do 
Um, but then, you know, really New York, I played like three different type of clubs that do electronic music in New York City, and that's like my best bet. So I totally get it because New York has got the scene that you want. I mean, the only other scene I probably would get into is like L.A., you know, the L.A. scene or like the Ber like yeah. what I do, like the Berlin scene. Yeah, Berlin or like, you know, is, is it really into like brand, you know, David Bowie kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it's just cool that you're in that zone. But now because of COVID, you're kind of like you guys can't take it fully advantage yeah, of it. No benefits for this year <laughs> of being here. But um, yeah, we'll just be patient a little more, I guess. So being a fan of music, you heard what you wanted, you know, what you liked about it. And then you found a way to bring your own voice to it. Like, like so you realized you had a talent. But I guess the question is, like, not everybody who sings or even plays an instrument actually takes the step to write their own music. So yeah. so how did that happen? Where <laughs> did you start to feel like you wanted to do that? Um, so I've always, like, written a lot. Um, I guess at first I wasn't really aware that I was writing music. I was just, like, writing all these lyrics. But there are still, as of today, sort of dispersed between post-its and like old notebooks and <laughs> notes on the iPhone. Um, so I've always like written a lot, that's for sure. Um, turning that into music, I guess it wasn't like too long ago. I mean, um, last year I released my first um, EP and it was sort of a collection of songs that I had written over like the years. You know, some things that I found that I wrote, I don't know, 10 years ago and then I was like, I'm going to release it just because I want to have like something of mine out there. And then it becomes sort of like as a, an addiction, you know, like you release something and then, you know, people enjoy it, So you want to get them like more. Uh, so I have like tons of music that I wrote that never really has been uh, released. I guess I was lazy to go <laughs> uh, to the studio or I did not believe in myself that much. But um, I'm working on that now, so I'm going to make Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've been listening to um, Washed Away. Is that the EP you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that, that I love every track on it. I mean, I like B, the last track, a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I like the title track. The title, I mean, I, every track on here like heart open, teach me. I'm like, everything is, I can feel like this, the headspace. You've got that Motown feel. You, you've mm -hmm. got the, you know, the Amy Winehouse, you know, I can hear the influence. Like I said, like all, all musicians, they kind of pull our influences. Like I'm being a keyboardist, I pull I'm like Bernie Worrell and Stevie Wonder and anybody that's a keyboardist can name check them all. But like, if you're going to play synthesizer, you're, you're going to tend to be in a, in a zone where people can kind of recognize where you're coming from. And yeah, you, this this album is like really, is an EP, it's really tight. I, I like the sound, I like the feeling. It's got a lot of heart. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I put a lot of heart into it for sure. And, uh, you know, it was sort of like arranged with um, like the, the other members of the band in just a few days. So we went to uh, this, studio upstate which is also like the home of the uh, piano player in the band Luke uh, Celenza and they did an amazing job um, understanding like what I wanted to express and like how I wanted certain like you know melodies to be because uh, honestly like I just bought a keyboard to help myself like writing music 
like demos after I went to the studio because um, it was sort of, I mean, they were very like understanding and they perfectly got what I was trying to express. But I was like, I need to be able to write like, you know, my own chords and to, to better express like what the direction of the song that I want um, is going to be. So then I still haven't taken officially <laughs> any piano lessons and a little shoot, but um, I started just, you know, playing out of yeah. ear and just um that's not, that's not a, more. <laughs> yeah that's not a bad name if you think about that you know at least african-american musicians like we didn't really get to go to berkeley <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. History, the history of all the blues musicians none of them could sight read you know mm-hmm. you know later they did they, they got capabilities but the first like bluesmen and a lot of rockers you know up to hendrix they couldn't read but it's like it's yeah. a feeling it's, it's always been kind of like if you got the chops or you got the heart or you've got the passion, you find the notes, you can kind of play by ear. It's kind of a, a thing. It's not a bad thing, I think. Say sometimes people who aren't formally trained mm-hmm. can can look at music in a different way. You know, you can actually yeah. do things that people say, well, that's not the way you're supposed to do it. But then because you do it differently, you become unique. You 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 do different phrasing, you do different chord choices, you do things that maybe people wouldn't have done. And then it becomes, oh wow, that's innovative. <laughs> so it's not a, I yeah, think it's a bad thing. thing to just have, uh, you know, sort of like a new perspective. I think, you know, having like a base of like studying for sure, it can help just uh, express yourself better. But um, I also get what you're saying to, you know, have sort of fresh eyes, more like naive. Um, it's just, I feel like the music industry is very like competitive nowadays, especially yeah. like in the type of music that um, we do. So it's sort of like expected that, you know, you know what you're doing like 100%. Because mm-hmm. uh, there's like another 2 billion people that do. Um, but then, you know, it, it depends like what goals you have. Yeah. Uh, well, I make music because like it makes me happy. I'm glad that other people enjoy, but if they didn't, I, I would still do it. Uh, so yeah, like, there's something to be said. You know, like, I understand. Like, like if you think about like a Phil Spector, or you think about like the Motown era, and mm-hmm. some of that construction was like very well well planned. But a lot of it, because these guys were like jazz guys, <laughs> you know, they were like yeah. bebop, jazz, blues guys, and they kind of had a lot of feel. A lot yeah. of it was feel. A lot of it was just okay. How are we gonna get a hit? But it's it's kind of like you got the chops or you don't. Like you can go to all the schools you want, and you could technically write music on the grid on a DAW and make mm-hmm. it totally perfect. But my whole point is like if you listen to like a Neil Young song from the '70s, you put it into a DAW, it's not perfect at all. It's got all kinds of timing issues. It's got you know key changes, all kinds of things that you would say, well, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. You the same thing if you listen to the Stones. If you listen to Keith Richards, he doesn't stay in his rhythm like modern guitar players. He's kind of all over the place. But that is kind of the character. And some of the things today where I think they're too, again, too clean in production and maybe too perfect. Because a lot to me, a lot of the great parts of music, even in classical music, all forms of music, are the actual errors. With the thing or little happy accidents mm-hmm. that you yeah. suddenly do 
that make it yeah. make it like endearing. That make you want to listen to it because it's it's got something that's different. You know, if you yeah. think of like yeah, yeah. Like, if you think about like Prince, like when Doves Cry, when Warner Brothers heard it, they said, well, "Where's the baseline?" Right? He didn't put the baseline. He did. He, and a lot of his songs were like demos, and they mm -hmm. would always the producer would come up to him and tell him, "You can't put that out. It's not finished." And he said, "Well, it is finished." And it's like he held his ground on a bunch of songs, and he was able to kind of push things in a way. Because if you look at Kiss, the way that's structured, it's kind of like a demo. A lot mm -hmm. of his best songs have things about it that people today wouldn't do. Yeah, They still wouldn't do Even though he did that, they still won't do it. Because, like, well, that's not the way you're supposed to do it. <laughs> yeah, but it still came great records out of it. So. Yeah, so I mean, I've always been the one, the proponent of like, okay, yeah, you can have all this background. And it's good to know theory as much as you can, but I don't get too caught up in it. Like, if you can take theory and improve your music, and you can take your chops and you learn different voicings, like people will say, well, go look, take some Beatle chords, which means you're going to make the chords a little bit more interesting than just like just a minor or major chord. You're yeah. going to do something that's a little more subtle that's cool but like getting too into it is like sometimes you gotta let it breathe and let things just be and like if you when the people who love music they create music that people tend to find mm -hmm. you'll, you'll the people will find you and say wow you've got something so your audience like because the world is so open people will find the things that they're really in tune with and so like, you don't you don't need a thousand copies of the same type of song that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have to be perfect. Or then, you know, it's like listening to the same song over and over. So yeah, because some producers will go and yeah, they'll go and make that song like 10, 20, 30 times the same song. Yeah. Because it was a hit, that's fine. But then as an audience, I I actually look for something that's different. That's why I talk to people in the independent world more than the top tier because it's more interesting in this space because you get to find people who are really got a lot of heart and, and do it because they love it, not yeah. because they're trying to get to some idea of what they, yeah, mm -hmm. success. So I think, yeah, stick with what you're doing. I think it's the right way to do it because if you believe in it, people will tend to go to the people that believe in themselves and have a passion about what you're doing. Um, yeah. So the other thing, um, we talked about your influences, but maybe you can maybe expand on it if we haven't already covered it. If we did, then we can skip to the next thing. But like yeah, in terms, terms of the, the, like, the type of music you're into and your, your... Yeah. So, I mean, Motown, I already said it, like definitely like a big influence and all the, all the artists that came with it. Um, then, you know, sort of like the, because I'm very much into soul music, I guess you would define my style is like new soul nowadays. So, yeah. um, you know, a lot of influences from like Erica Badu and like D'Angelo, I also shared the last name. Yeah, that Neo, Neo soul. You've got that Neo soul vibe too. Yeah, yeah kinda... so that vibe, I love it. It's like the best for me in terms of like soul and R&B. Um, I'm also like a huge fan and they do have definitely like an influence on me of like a later like soul wave which is the one of now like anderson pack and like thundercat napalm and all of that her um and yeah i, I just like think people can just 
appreciate, you know, if you think about stacks and Motown and some of those old labels, it's just like you listen to Otis Redding, you listen to some of the like, go listen to the Shy Lights, you mm-hmm. listen to like the Delphonics. Like I'm a big fan of like the the, um, the Delphonics just because they had all this the falsetto. It's kind of like that Smokey Robinson falsetto that you get out of these soul groups that really focused on voices. Yeah. And they had really good instrumentation, but you're you're in that kind of tradition that the voice is the instrument. Your yeah. voice is your instrument. And, <laughs> and you also have really good musicians around you. And then that just like to me is like the full package. Cause it doesn't no, not that drum machines and sequencers and synthesizers aren't are are are, are, are like there that's what's going on. If people are using hip hop, they're using samplers, they're using all kinds of stuff. And you know, I'm into that. And I do use it because I'm an electronic musician. But I think some people forget the electronic track music is not just like a CDJ yeah. or a DAW. You know, I go back to people like Genesis and Yes and Pink Floyd. That's the kind mm-hmm. of electronic music I talk about, not just like a DJ. But somebody had a big stack of Moogs and Hammond B3s and all these like real instruments that you can be very expressive on. So it's like the, the whole idea in music, if you can be expressive, you know, if you're DJs, they can be very expressive and, you know, hip hop producers can be very innovative and can do things that are cutting edge. But uh, I guess as a fan, I do like the the genre you're in because it yeah. kind of is kind of heart based. It's soul based, yes. you know. Um, so when you write like now you got the keyboard. So now what, what were you doing before you got the keyboard to do your demos? Were you just putting them together? Like on a tape or on the phone? Yeah, basically all on the phone. Very like a professional. I'm not here to like give advice to fellow singers, but um, yeah, I was just like recording, um, you know, what I was thinking the melody should be with my voice, writing the words. And then I don't know, just like whenever I met with somebody that I was like, um, there's also like a lot of songs that, you know, I sort of like wrote and played with friends, but never really arrived to the studio. Maybe one day uh, they will. But um, yeah, I guess it was always easy to be understood, probably because, I mean, I always had to deal with like pretty good like musicians who, you know, when you play with each other, even for like lives and you have like that good feeling and connection, it's sort of like easy to explain even without yeah. you know, having a chart. Uh, so I never really had. Yeah, I think, I think it's like classic thing. Like if you're a singer and you believe in what you're doing and you've got the yeah. lyrics. People will follow. Like. Yeah, if you, you, you go, I watched a documentary on Amy Winehouse and her two sets of producers that she did on Black, the Back in Black. Yeah. And she, she came in with just like an acoustic guitar was mm-hmm. was laying things down real simple, you know, and then the, then the, the producers, one of them had kind of a DJ background, but the cool yeah. thing about the DJ background was he knew how to get hooks into what she was doing. Like, so she had all the stuff on, on acoustic guitar and then he kind of heard like the licks or the, the types of phrasing that should go with it and yeah. knew what would make it more of a hit. Then yeah. and the original versions are perfect. They're great. I mean, but, some of the stuff it was more like folk music that it was like very indie kind of folk but then it changed into this kind of soul music you know it was like 
it, it's like it's yeah. like at the Phil Spector I mean, thing. If a good producer, I think they have like a magical, you know, ear or just like perception of things to that projects whatever like you send them or share with them in another level that you know. So did, did I, that, for example, never come up with? Did so. that happen when you met? Like, was it more that the band interpreted your stuff and and the band came up with it, or was it the producer that kind of drove it? Um, so for Wash the Way, it was, um, you know, we had like two um, pretty intense like days of rehearsal, like all together. And um, so the Giacomo is the bass player of uh, the band is the one that helped me like writing all the charts and everything. Uh, so it definitely like understood what I was saying or trying to say more than anyone. Uh, but a lot of things then, you know, when you get to the studio, you sort of like change them and adapt them at that minute. So that was sort of like a common feeling, you know, just uh, doing takes, like, why don't we do this, why don't we do that? And so some things, you know, we changed some lyrics or some, uh, you know, directions or added some like harmonies here and there. Uh, and that was all decided like in the studio. Um, so did you guys record it like a traditional like 1970s kind of style where the full band was playing or was it more like overdubs? Uh, no, so we, I mean, we did like do it pretty traditionally. Um, so they did like the instrumental and like they were amazing because basically they did maybe like one or two takes. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, I was the trouble, so I, you know, like as all singers, like yeah, yeah, stereotype. But I don't like this. I don't like this. Let me reduce this. So over and over. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we got everything done in like three days. Uh, the recording, so I think we were pretty good. That's, that's really. I think that's a problem. I mean, sometimes today you get people to take like three, four months, six months, a year to do something not that they can't do something great you think about bruce springsteen born to run took like six months because yeah. he's doing all this layering but 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 the thing is sometimes it's like the honesty like if you have your idea and it's just trying to express it there's a certain cutoff point where like by the hundredth take you probably like lose a lot of the original intent yeah i agree also because <laughs> You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. I mean, sometimes, like, I still, you know, when I listen to it, I'm like, oh, but this, you know, I could have done You could have fixed it, yeah, you could have fixed it. It's like a never-ending. You're like your own worst critic, right? Because you're like, yes. like well, I mean, you don't like the version you put out because you're like, yeah, I, you were still working on it. But yeah. then you had to, like, you finally had to decide, okay, this is going to be it. Maybe that's when you play it live, you can make your choice to, like, make it the way you want it. Yeah, and then life, you know, it always changes. Like, I, I feel like all the songs, whether it's like, you know, cover songs or like my own that I've done live, it's never like the same version. And that's like the fun of playing live, I think. Well, I think, yeah, that's something I think it gets lost today in the kind of doll world is like, you know, I'm kind of a big fan of like bands like Allman Brothers. And, you know, the Funkadelic bands, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you could think about Earth, Wind, and Fire. They would go on stage. I mean, they had their songs. And everybody knew their hits. But they would improvise. And, and you would have the core of the song. But, you know, every, every time you go to see them, it would be a little bit different. And that's kind of like the whole reason why you wanted to see them. Where, you know, in some places now, you got bands that are kind of like stuck 
on their um, backing tracks and they're kind of locked in when they were when they go to play they, they kind of mm -hmm. they're not free to go outside of the constructs of the song yeah. because they've, they've gotten themselves so tied to the song they can't break out of it and yeah. then that's cool if you want to hear the same thing every night but i think it's kind of as a musician i find it very boring <laughs> yeah i mean you sort of i mean i don't know i I guess maybe uh, that's also tied to the fact that um, I don't know music like on the you know learning side that much. So for me, like every live of one song, it's like a different thing. Depends, you know, maybe like even how you're feeling. Something you might uh, sang it like more, you know, like fun and like yeah. upbeat, and then the same like could be more like chill and jazzy version i mean i think we have a lot of like room to do different yeah i love i love that room you know i i think that's the room that some people have kind of forgotten that yeah. that that it's really you know because i would i collect a lot of music right and i have all these hendrix performances and the cool thing about hendrix is like every time he did a solo it was never the same I mean, he had the general structure but the you'd want to hear like every live performance Hendrix ever did. Mm -hmm. And I collect them just because every approach they took was always like, it was based on how he felt. And yeah. so like in some days, like if he was really, if he was angry or something, you could kind of feel he was yeah, frustrated. Yeah. If he was happy, you kind of feel this different feel. He was kind of chill. So you get that feeling coming out of that, like just like a singer, you know, a guitar, lead guitar players and stuff. You can feel where their head's at, mm -hmm. you know? And that's, you know, in horn players, you can feel that, like a Coltrane, yeah. people like that. You can, you can feel the mood. And that's like, the, that's what, it, to me, is like a painter, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, an actor, if they do a live performance on a stage, depending on how they feel that night, is how they're gonna approach the character. Uh, I think that's real important in music to do that. So, yeah, that's the best, I think, honestly, like the, this room that we were talking about, the space to just, you know, get creative. And especially like if you see that the audience is like feeling you and the same vibe that you're, you know, experience you were trying to give, that's like the best feeling. And I, I think it's like the, the thing that is missed most. Uh, yeah. Really, yeah. Because when you play live, don't you, as a singer, you kind of feed off the audience, like, if the audience has you feeling a certain way, you're going to sing that song because of the, the venue you're in, the vibe yeah. you're getting from the people, like the, the acoustics of the place. So there's all these things. It's like, oh, wow, like this place sounds like this. So if I do this with my voice, it's going to give me this effect so I can go and do this. And this audience is really into what I'm doing. So I can kind of, you know, it just it, it, that that feedback, like if you try to do a live stream, Mm -hmm. It's like you can do a kind of unplugged thing and it's very, um, I guess it's passionate and it's, it's kind of, you know, intimate to do that, but you're missing that audience point. So it's yeah. all coming from like you and yeah, you don't get true. anything from the audience. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've attended um, several like, you know, live shows of other artists um, during this year. I haven't done mine, but I am. It's coming up. Well, you're going to do it. You're going <laughs> to do one. About it later. But I always feel bad, like, you know, when I'm like watching someone and then when they end like one song or something, I feel like, but nobody's there. So like, you know, 
uh, let them feel what they're feeling. And I feel so sad that, you know, they end the song and then they have no idea like what people reaction is. And it's hard, I think, to, you know, continue and like keep the show on with the complete like silence of your apartment or like the theater yeah. or whatever. I've kind of thought that since the pandemic came about that they should, um, all these streaming services to provide the ability for artists to go live, to do something like when people hit the heart button, it would be cool if that would feed back to the artists, like like clapping or yeah. cheering, or so you could hear something. So if they're actually reacting, and you know the audience can react, because I'm a technical technical guy, they can actually send hearts. They could go and say they like, yeah. and then if that fed back into your monitor. I think some have that feature, like even like virtual clapping or something, but um, uh, it definitely be cool if like they could, you know, unmute the mic just for 10 seconds. And be yeah, like, and you hear them like then, actually doing the yeah, woo-woo, like, they hear the clapping. Like if you actually could hear the clapping or make it yeah. sound, I, I think my whole thing is make it sound as close to like a live experience. Like yeah, so you, you include like a virtual capability that gives you audience feedback that feels not, not fake. Yes. But, but feels real enough real. that mm -hmm. it, you would like, wow, it's not just like a laugh track yeah. on a sitcom. It's something that actually makes you feel that <laughs> the audience is involved, yes. which I don't think is impossible to do, but people probably haven't focused on it because mm -hmm. it's like they'd rather just play live. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, so like you, it sounds like you don't, like at the type of hours you are at, you don't use like a DAW to put your like a digital audio workstation. You're not using. No, like... I saw the question and I was like, I'm just gonna yeah, yeah. say it. Like, I mean, I know that like most people that uh, I collaborate with use Logic. Yeah, yeah. I honestly have, but I just never don't, don't like it. Have explored uh, the world. I mean, I have like just recorded some lines. Uh, you know vocal lines to send to other um, artists, like through the, like, focus oh. right, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you want to collab with people, you have to put stuff like, down. Ask for help, because I'm like really bad at all, <laughs> all the things that are like linked to technology, especially like in the music world, I feel like they're super complicated. So I'd rather like, you know, refer yeah. them to the professionals. <laughs> That's strange. Well, it's not strange, because I, I started off using just tape recorders back in the 90s and the 80s. I used to use like Fostex and Tascam trackers, right? And, you know, I'm a technical guy. I got into DAW and then I'm like, you know, I didn't like it. So I actually use hardware recorders. I kind of do old fashioned stuff. I have all my all my synthesizers and stuff, but they're all connected to no yeah. computers at all. I just record directly to like tape type machines. Just oh. because I, I, I like it's more like what I would do. <laughs> yeah, just because I want to be able to do the song the way I want, and I don't want to have to sit on a laptop. I just have all these hardware machines that can record right at my synth. So right yeah. at the keyboard, I can get to what I want. I don't have to stop. Yeah. And I find that that to me, if I go and sit on a computer, it doesn't feel like I'm writing. So yeah. I'm like, I, I'd rather be at the piano writing than than be on a computer. Mm -hmm. I just can't. I can't handle it. So. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> I, get, I get what you're doing. I'm kind of people say, yeah. well, that's harder. Yeah, you're well, an, also an IT person, so you probably know more about. Yeah, I just decided <laughs> I didn't like 
all the choices. I think there's so many choices on the that, DAW. A lot, yeah. That that it kind of distracts you from from being. I think sometimes having limitations as an artist, if you limit all those choices to like like okay, all I have is my piano, all I have is my guitar, and then later I can play with effects, I can play with stuff. But if I'm just trying to get the heart of what I'm doing, I think it's it's better to have some limitations to yeah. like control where you kind of focus to get to the heart of what you're trying to get across. Yeah, then you get lost in all the things you could do and you end up doing yeah. Yeah, then you're gonna be like spent like two days just trying to get an effect ready, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> instead of like trying to get the chords right. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so that that's cool. I, I totally am into that because so so you've done a little bit of that. So you do top lines maybe with people. You do extra work. You work with people. You collab. Yeah. So usually, I mean, for um, yeah, I usually sort of rely on other people for this sort of like more technical stuff. Yeah, yeah. For sure. So um, when you were playing live, I'm assuming you were just playing around New York or did you go outside of New York? You went to Italy too in France? Uh, yes. So, I mean, I definitely did start playing um, in Italy. I had this friend who played guitar just, you know, around in pubs and he's also like a great singer. And he sort of like convinced me to do this and I started playing with him and I was like super shy, I didn't want to do that. But then I started like, you know, we had very good um, feedback and we were doing, I was like 19, I think. And we were doing like a lot of shows per week, not like big venues, you know, mm. but still, you know, it was a very good school of music and just learning how to like interact yeah. with musicians. It's like, like trial by fire, I mean, doing it, I always tell people, yeah. like, if you actually just do it, you, anytime you have something, it's like you just get into the act of doing the work. And if, if you're a musician, it's not really work. It's kind of like it's love. Yeah, and it's fun, you know? Yeah. Like, it's your passion, so you're super excited when you do it. But um, it, it took a lot of convincing, but I'm glad that, you know, it did. Well, I'm glad they convinced okay. you to do it because you, you really have, I think you've got an awesome like a uh, whole concept of what you're doing um and the way, way you carry it off is like everything you're doing is very un uh authentic and, and and it has feeling and i think that's that's core in music is to feel like the artist really believes what they're doing you know when i hear you singing your lyrics it feels like yeah you're really yeah believe what you're, yeah i think that an yeah. artist can get so thank you but um yeah so i mean for the playing uh yeah easily i mean quite extensively i mean more like in sicily which is where i'm from uh, i moved for university to paris when i was 21 and in paris i joined a gospel choir which was the best musical choice that give you a lot of training right there that's like going to school that, that was that, great. That's like, cool. My voice never sounded as great as when I was in that choir because, like, just the type of performance that you have to do, like, you train your voice a lot, and the songs are all like, you know, you can feel them. And I just loved it. And then I was just playing with um, my band there at the time, just, you know, around in France, Paris mostly. Uh, and then, yes, I moved to New York, like, six seven years ago 
and uh, it's been sort of on and off with music because like the New York scene is very like overpopulated. Um, so you know to play like in the cool spots where you go to listen to other people, uh, usually you have to you know go to a gym session on a Monday at 1 a.m. to get yourself you know seen and then maybe they'll call you and it's all these like steps that you know sometimes like I'm willing to uh, do when I have the time to do and sometimes I'm just like you know I'll just play to like a local bar in Brooklyn and be happy with it um, and yeah I mean it's more for me about like making music and like how I feel when I make it than getting like the attention from um, external people so New York is definitely like a tough scene and you have to be on top of things a lot to play like extensively uh, but yeah I mean I've had my share of like good gigs um, here of course none almost in the last year um, mostly like private you know events but nothing so are you feeling that this year because you know people are getting vaccinated mm -hmm. and um you thinking by like by mid summer or fall you might be able to do what you did before um i mean i've been making you know sort of like promises to myself like you know i'm not able to do this now but i'm sure like in six months it will be better for i mean since covid started you know in march we were saying like you know in summer it will probably be okay and then in summer we were like by christmas it will probably yeah yeah okay. it's like getting pushed out yeah yes. so now yeah. i'm just like Shh, nothing i'm not saying anything but um you know so I, I hope yeah. that with the vaccine we can go back to a little bit of normality i mean at least in new york they are trying to lift most of the restrictions like you know movie theaters are opening back again and like restaurants are open at I think 25 or 50 capacity inside so it's definitely going in a good direction I have at the same time the example of home where my family is in Italy which is going crazy like they keep being put on lockdown and the cases are still rising so that's yeah I was wondering do you think you could get back to, to Europe to do anything but if they're still having some Trouble. Yeah, so that's why we're honestly, I, I hope that with the vaccine, um, you know, we get this sort of like um, health passport or whatever. Yeah, yeah, there's supposed to be a, like, a, pa a passport that says that you, yeah, got, the vaccine, you got the vaccine and then you're, you have to show that you passed the test. <clears> and then, you know, once they yeah. have that, then I think things are going to get better. It's okay. just, yeah. I mean, I, I, I had this story where like I was, I finally got a booking agent where oh. I could go to like Denmark or I could go to like Berlin, oh. I go to London. I finally <laughs> got him. And then COVID happened like right when I got the agent. <laughs> oh, no. So it's like, I mean, I'm sure like the opportunities I think have just been put on hold. So yeah. Hopefully, you know, yeah everything sorry. will be still there. Um, whether it's at the end of this year or this summer. I mean, I hope it's like tomorrow just because I think we could all like use going back to um, not maybe 100% normal, you know, I don't think it's gonna happen like that, but just, you know. But I found- of How it was before. Yeah, but yeah. one thing I found was like, you know, sometimes like the international audiences, 
mm-hmm. are more accepting of like new artists or or certain types of music. And I always found that like if you know my audience even online, I have more fans like in Norway and mm-hmm. in the Netherlands and Denmark and Israel and all mm-hmm. all these other places like Australia. And you know in the U.S. I might not I might have pockets like in New York and Los Angeles, but I get more people that are into what I'm doing. Like even in like Korea and Japan, and parts of China, mm-hmm. I get I get people that are into what I'm doing. But so it seems like like yeah, as a musician, sometimes you gotta like okay, I don't just target locally. I have to like target like globally. Yeah, yeah, that for sure. And I mean Italy, like now there's like this new wave of like new solo artists but it, it's kind of like recent before there wasn't really this t- style of music um i mean some great ones that sort of like initiated it but then it's mostly like pop and good pop and like also a very bad like <laughs> new pop yeah uh, but now there's like a lot of great artists so i feel like you know in italy i would be more understood yeah. <laughs> That's why I feel like, like, I, it's like when I go, if I go to London or if I go to Berlin, like there's more people that are into like really kind of eccentric electronic music than like, you know, 10 minute songs. Yeah. Kind of like, yes, that's kind of like where I'm, my space is at. I'm, I'm, I do these songs that are like, you know, 1970s, like Queen songs. Not that I'm covering them, but it's more like I'm not trying to just do a two minute song. A lot yeah, of, lo- yeah. yeah, a lot of the bands that I'm into. Do the kind of extended like little mini rock operas, mm-hmm. so there, there's a like a Pink Floyd type of stuff, <laughs> and that that stuff is like it's a different type of audience. You that it's more of a live audience because yeah. those audience are want to see a, a a band that can actually play these song, songs that are that long, um, yeah. or that interesting, um, and are not just like little club bangers here and there. Not that that's bad, but uh, it's a different type of thing. Um, just like what you're doing is different. Um, it has that kind of soul, that new soul is like neo mm-hmm. soul, is like traditional soul. It's not like necessarily like a minute and a half. It's whatever yeah. it's going to be to make the song. <laughs> yeah, there, I feel like even for like you know new soul, there there's always like this sort of like uh, pressure that now you have to you know have one structure like you know A B A B. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, you can really get out of it, or like if the song is for the like, I don't know, three minutes, it's like, oh my God, like, what are you doing? But I don't, I think one of the songs, like in my latest album, is like five minutes, which is like for yeah, some incredibly yeah. long. <laughs> I couldn't care less, you know? Yeah, like, your producers, as soon as they see it's over yeah. three minutes, they're like, no. <laughs> yeah, but then, you know, some people did it and like, we loved it. I mean, like, Queen and like, yeah, I mean, they told Queen that Bohemian Rhapsody, they couldn't, yeah, they couldn't even put it out. The longest, yeah. So what they did, they made a video, and then they got the video on TV, and then the record, like, the record stations did not want to play it, but then the video came yeah. out, and the video was shown on TV, and then suddenly, this was, like, before MTV, mm-hmm. and it suddenly is like, oh. And yeah, the same thing kind of happened with, like, the Eagles and um, Hotel California. Cause that, that's that's yeah. like eight minutes long, you know, eight nine minutes long, and, and in the seventies, you know, they had radio programmers that would tell you you should only do three minutes, but yeah. then in the seventies you see all these songs are like by Dylan has songs that are seven minutes long, Springsteen has songs that are yeah. like eight minutes long. There's a lot of songs that go that break that rule, even in the middle of an era that said that was the rule. 
yeah i enjoy honestly long songs like if you really like a song or a style like you know you never really want it to end so why not make yeah. it even well, sometimes like commercial song like if you want to be more like commercial uh you have to sort of stick with yeah if you want to be in the top 20 you got to probably be under three minutes but yeah. if you're looking for something that maybe has lasting value from a critical standpoint like if you look at mm -hmm. like what rolling stone and spin magazine and billboard when they're actually giving like five star reviews yeah or they're always usually giving it the bands that have songs that are longer than three minutes <laughs> yeah, I I that, but yeah so so it's like <laughs> so, yeah i mean so the critics tend to like the things that maybe the public doesn't like <laughs> yeah but uh you know but um and sometimes that doesn't make the artist a lot of money. It's like, it's like Lou Reed used to complain that like everybody, all the critics love him, but he never made any money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because the so critics sick. just said he was awesome, and they said, like, "Well, they're not buying it." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he was able to find a way to get successful despite of that, just because his his, his kind of poetry of his mm -hmm. music eventually became so significant that he got advertising deals you got other things that happened and that seems like one question i have like a music there's a lot of things um because the way musicians have to deal with um streaming services and not being on labels and not getting advances mm -hmm. or not getting this um how do you kind of navigate that i guess like in terms of uh you know some people like i've been getting into like sync licensing trying to get my music into movies and stuff because i do you know instrumental stuff i can do so yeah maybe it's not my my name brand but maybe i can do 30 seconds to get into some ad you know mm -hmm. so have you yeah, thought about like, good, that type of stuff great skill to have for sure um i mean streaming services is like a must i think for any like artist that just wants to get their music out there um i mean i i did for example like a a vinyl, i have a vinyl record of my own record that came out last year which, you know, like I put in, uh, like they sell it at um, Rough Trade, like in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. and like I sold a few copies of my own. And, but it's a very like niche market. So, um, you know, streaming services definitely like are a must, but they pay like crap. So, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, you know, it's, but you know, everyone listen to music on those platforms because because then you know you listen to music like at home when you're like running, cooking, whatever. And most people just want like the easiest option, and you know they pay like uh, whatever they pay to to get like Spotify Premium or things like that. The fact that like these streaming platforms do not reward um, artists like at all, because I mean even people that make. Uh, uh, a billion listens, like super yeah, famous not. artists, they still don't make Yeah, it. I mean, <laughs> they, they, this age is so different because like it used to yeah. be, if you sold like 500,000 copies, you you made pretty good of money. You know, you do 500,000 streams, you won't get that much at all. No, you, I mean- You have to get, that's... even if you get millions of streams, and the only thing that happens is like the top tier artists, like if you're Taylor Swift <laughs> and you do, 20 million yeah. streams you get a higher rate yeah. than us because we're on a different tier yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but still you know when you do like 20 millions it's still like nothing but, compared but yeah to it's what not it's the, what it was when people actually had to buy your cd 
when people yes. buy bought your CD, you got more. But even then, some of the record companies were giving you like ten cents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, the ten dollar record, and they give you like ten cents. Yes. <laughs> you know, no. so a sixteen dollar CD, and they were giving you like what ninety nine cents out of sixteen dollars. That was even back yeah. then. They they were kind of running things in a way, and so that it's I think what's happened now is a lot of artists are like, okay, well, I'm doing it myself. And if I can get like a website and I can get like mm-hmm. touring and I can get my fans to be dedicated, I can get them to buy t-shirts and buttons, yeah, yeah. posters, and you make more money off of the merch than yes. you do off the music. And that's always been disappointing to me because to me, the, the real, what we're trying to give to people is the music, not the t-shirt, mm-hmm. and not, the, not the button. Yeah. And we would like to actually get paid <laughs> for the work that we actually believe in the most, not not like the ancillary work, you know. Yes, no, that's for sure. I mean, I this is the main reason, I guess, why I never really looked for a, a label, you know, to support uh, my work because I didn't really want to deal with all the BS. So yeah. Uh, we end up owing them money. I had into it. Yeah, so I think like I'll I'll keep like doing what I'm doing. The also another reason I feel like is that um, you know like when you're like on a label or even like if you're an affirmed like artist, you have now like in the recent few years, maybe the last one, uh, all this pressure that you have to like constantly release music. And I think that sort of kills what the creative process should be. Uh, like, I shouldn't have, you know, like a label telling me, like, you know, you release a single now, then one in like one month and a half uh, to keep the audience, you know, engaged. Yeah. Uh, that sort of kills why we do this and the way. Well, yeah. yeah. So, I think it's like, it's like, it seems like if you go back to the 50s and even like the Motown era, there was this thing where they actually did try to release like every yeah. week, every yeah, two yeah, weeks, yeah. every three weeks. And Barry Gordy, you know, when I, he wasn't trying to be a jerk, but that was just kind of the, the marketing strategy. Is yeah. okay, if this song doesn't hit, then we got to do another one. Another one. Yeah. And so, the, so it seems like the, the world with Spotify and all these streaming services has kind of gone back in time to like 1956. 57 yeah. and we were in the same model because back then everything was single based right so everything today is kind of yeah. single based it and is. Al- yeah and yeah. albums used to get composed of all the hits and then they would put them together and say oh this is an album and you yeah. know it wasn't until like the beatles they actually started getting albums that actually had a flow and then people started to clone that concept is oh our albums should have a, a, a theme mm-hmm. and and then you have the era from like the late 60s to like you know into the 90s of of the album era where like people's projects had a sense of continuity even if the songs didn't make a story all yeah. the songs in that project fit together and mm-hmm. you kind of want to listen to the whole thing like when i listen to your ep I want to listen to the whole thing. I don't. I don't want to just take a song and then put it on a playlist with ten other people. I kind of want to listen to yeah. what you're what you're trying to say. I feel the same, and honestly, like a lot of artists that 
took, you know, years to put albums together. I'd rather, like, you know, wait and get that, like, whole product that makes you experience something instead of, like, I'm not a huge fan of all of these, you know, singles coming out every, like, two months, but at the same time, I understand where it's coming from because it's what people are expecting now, and there's, you know, you release something and people are the day after, like, so when they want the next thing. Yeah, they say it's like yeah. we're in the age of instant gratification because I think what used to be, and I remember back in the 70s, like I wanted to go get a record. I'd have to get on a bus or, or get a ride yeah. and get my car and drive to a record store, mm-hmm. you know, go looking inside, like how much money am I going to actually spend? Can I only have so much money to get yeah. maybe one or two things, right? Yeah. Barely That's one. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, okay. And then you're, they put all your money to get this one record, and then you sat at, right back home, and you listen to it until you like wore it out, <laughs> you yeah. know. And and it was like, and it was a whole experience because like you were connected to artists. Cause like I was buying vinyl, you know, and I I, I bought Purple Rain on vinyl uh, when wow. it came out, and it was like I just sat there and I was like the first time I heard that record, I'm like, wow, this is like. Because it didn't sound like 1999, it didn't sound like what he had done before. It had been, it was like a total departure of what he had done. He had all this rock music coming into it, and I was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" Because I was a big Hendrix fan. I said, "Well, he's kind of going Hendrix," and then I, then I was like, well, I just couldn't believe it, and I just kept on listening and listening. And I just feel like today, you know, maybe the kids today don't get that experience to yeah. like feel that they, this artist is. Stuff available i feel like it's the same like now they were you know all sort of stuck at home and you turn like netflix on and you say like nothing is on like there's nothing i'm watching there's there's like like three thousand things on but there's nothing on (laughs) yeah so it's the same it's like having too much offer then it makes you like you know doubtful and you don't know what you want and yeah, it's sort of the same, I think, with the streaming services. But then, you know, we we have to use them because that's where... Everyone... It's kind of like the radio. I kind of look at the streaming services, you know, because mm-hmm. I kind of, the way I got into it, like, I got into this podcast because I'm a musician and I actually do better on my podcast than my mm-hmm. music, <laughs> but it helps my music. Um, and so it, it ended up being, like, a really good situation where, like, okay, if I do this podcast... Then I get to talk to other musicians. I actually get paid better than I do doing my music. And then it gets people to like get into my music that wouldn't have gotten into my music. And so yeah. it ended up being a, another way to kind of do something. And it seems like today you got to find a, like, a way to integrate what you're doing yes. to, to get it to another level. I see people trying to get their music into video games, people trying to get their music into YouTube, movies, uh, yeah. we get it on TikTok get it into reels you know you know there are people that will take your music and put it on a reel or put it on a tiktok and then you actually get a higher rate if somebody puts your music into a reel on instagram or or into a tiktok you'll actually get a higher rate than you do on spotify Spotify. yeah yeah crazy so it's like okay well that's that doesn't make a lot of sense to me but i guess that's the way it's working (laughs) yeah it's a lot of energy i feel that it's needed nowadays to be um you know fully an artist like 24 7 because you have to find sort of like complementary things that would go with just the music 
that you can like you know sell or promote because the music is just not uh, enough if you want to get you know at the end of the month and like yeah yeah almost every musician i know has a day job and depends on what kind of day job they have uh you know to support what they're doing i tend to have a pretty good one but um i know guys that are more hardcore and they'll just okay i'm gonna live out the van i'm gonna tour like like 300 days a year you know and they were surviving like that before covid they were like okay well i'm just gonna hit every small venue i can in this van with my group and we're just doing a totally dedicated like on the indie scene like they go to seattle you go to these you know like heart like punk rocker type people and they would just they just go to the scene and they just force themselves into it and just dedicate it and it's it's a way of doing things it's just hard to do that right now (laughs) you i mean also love that type of life i think it's the best because you do like all the time what you want to do and then at a certain point you don't care about money that much because like all you want to do is that and yeah you kind of make your life smaller i think you have to make your life a little bit smaller to do that dedication like you have to say well i don't need this i don't need that i'm going to focus on this but a lot of times people are like, well, I want this, I want that. So then I can't do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a lot to do with personality, I think. Like, I'm a very, like, anxious person. So I could never just leave, you know, month by month. Like, maybe this month I'll have, like, one good gig. Maybe four, yeah, yeah. maybe zero. Yeah, like, after that was just like, risk taker. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard because, like, you think about it. Like, I was, like, watching that thing about, like, Nirvana. And they were like, you know, Kurt Cobain, he just, he didn't really even want to make money. His whole point was to be like very punk and not make money. And mm-hmm. it kind of made him upset when he was successful. Yeah. <laughs> because he, he kind of wanted to live out the van, live out the van back of the car. And then when all the other stuff came, it was like too much because he never, he kind of wanted to be very small kind of hardcore effort and and believe in it and then maybe struggle through it and then when he got all the recognition kind of it kind of didn't work for him yeah Um, which seems to happen sometimes some musicians like like okay they want this dream but if they get it then they don't want it (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. i get you know so so it's always kind of hard like you're always you're kind of like as a musician you want to get to the place where you people can hear you and people can feel what you're doing, but you don't want it to like steal you. Because sometimes, like as a musician, like the fans can want so much, or the business can want so much that you actually lose sight of what you originally were doing it for. Yeah, what you thought was important for your music. Mm-hmm. Because they kind of, kind of, gotta be like level-headed to the point where, okay, well, I believe in it. And it's like that's the choice you make as an artist. Like you're saying, like you want to do it the way you want to do it. You want to control what's going on. You don't necessarily want to get to the top 50 or top 10 and then lose like your soul or lose yeah. what you want to do or how mm-hmm. you want to do it because now you've got a manager saying you've got to do this or a label mm-hmm. saying you've got to do X and you've got to show up here and you got to do this. And so then, it, then it's not fun because that wasn't what you were trying to do. Yeah. Also, because I think it depends, like, you know, whatever uh, phase of your life 
you're facing, then your music sort of like evolves with it. So, I mean, you're like a new soul artist today. It doesn't have to be in that bracket like forever, you know. I think you can sort of like change and have some new style that depends just like on the experience that you make, your life, your music and everything. So, yeah, because I think the one thing if you get... Brackets, you know. Yeah, I think what happens to some big artists is like you make that big song, right? And you get known for that. And mm -hmm. then for the next 20 years, you got to do Hotel California every night. <laughs> yeah. Right? No. And then you've got like maybe 200 songs. And you might not want to play Hotel California. You might want to play a deeper track yeah. that means a lot to you. But the fans, like, you got to play Hotel California. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and I think Elvis got that. You know, all the big artists like they get to this point where, like, you got to play what the fan wants more than mm -hmm. what you want to do. And I understand what the fans want. They they want that. And I'm a fan. I probably want to hear Purple Rain every night. But but, I, mean, I saw that Prince. He he got to a point where he didn't want to play it, and he didn't. He actually bucked the system. He said, "I'm not playing it." And for like ten mm -hmm. years, he actually went through a phase where he didn't play the hits. He only played like new material. Mm -hmm. And everybody said, oh, you shouldn't do that. And, and he didn't care. He just did it. Yeah. <laughs> Which great. I thought was pretty cool for a big artist to actually like do that. Because most of the time they don't. Most of the time they get forced into having to play the hit. And I, I like the fact that he still had kind of this indie feel. Even though he's this mega star, he would go and, and, and do these small shows and like do nothing but new songs. Yeah. And people were like, what? And he's like, that's what he did. He's like, he didn't care. He's like, that's what he wanted to do. Um, yeah. So I think that's cool. Like, I mean, you're in that kind of spirit. Like, <laughs> you, you do do song different every night because that's the way you feel it. You, mm -hmm. You're writing from your heart, putting it together in kind of an old school way. And I think that that's just, I, I, I like that. I think that's that's like what I tend to gravitate toward are singer-songwriters um, who, who really put a lot into their work. And believe in it, and I think that's like you, you, Lulu, you have that. So that's cool. Thank you. So um, I think, like, I guess we we kind of talked about like almost all the issues, and um, I guess the thing is, like, for 2021, are you actually in the middle of working on a new project? Uh, yes. So I'm currently working on um, a new EP, which would be my first in Italian. I never really written in Italian, but um, now I feel, as I was saying before, like, you know, Italy wasn't much into uh, New Soul, like R&B a lot before, or at least like how I saw it. Uh, now instead there's like this new wave that it's more like affirmed day by day. And I feel like I would be more understood uh, doing my style of music in Italy now. So, um, other than that, so I'm working on this EP uh, with uh, two great producers in Italy, uh, Emanuele Trilida and uh, Benjamin Ventura. We haven't met yet, which is crazy, <laughs> but we were uh, introduced by a common friend and we've just been working together sort of like online. But uh, it's just great how amazing they are at just, you know, getting your songs just playing like you know two chords and voice into a whole new level so um some songs are like sort of ready i mean i still have to record uh, 
the voice in them. But I think, I mean, it will hopefully be done by the end of the year. Um, it's just like, I really had a good connection with them and I would love to just uh, record it together with them. Uh, they're based in Rome, in Italy. So hopefully, you know, if COVID um, leaves us alone, uh, I could go this summer and complete the project or maybe we would do it, you know, um, recording my part in New York and their part um, in Italy. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of liking like writing in Italian. I never really did it before. So um, I'm curious to get, you know, people's feedback on that once um, the record gets released. Um, I think very few people have heard me sing in Italian because I almost never really did just because um, the type of music that I do, I feel like it always had like a better like um, feeling. In, with in English, yeah, because the soul, soul is terrible. Yeah. yeah, it's American kind of construct coming from like, you know, African American kind of blues and gospel. And, you know, it kind of comes from that. So that's why people would probably want to sing it in language. But I think it's really cool to have like foreign language um, uh, versions of music. Because I actually was living in Tokyo and I listened to a bunch of Japanese bands like doing like grunge in, in, in yeah. 2004. And I was like, wow, it's like their interpretation of what Pearl Jam and Nirvana sounded like with Japanese language. And it yeah. was actually important to actually hear them sing it in Japanese rather than trying to have them do it in English. Because yeah. there was something about the Japanese language, the way they used it in the song that you needed to hear it in Japanese. So I'm a big believer that like if you're if it's actually cool to to hear the language and cultural differences that language have. And I think that would really sound awesome. I think that th you could probably bring something to that form. Yeah, um, um, I will send it, it to you once it's out. Yeah, I definitely will listen to it because I, I, I listen to all kinds of everything, so. Awesome, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a cool project. I think people should be on the lookout for that. that that's pretty cool. Thank you. So um, I think we're near the end of the show. Um, I'm glad to have you on, Lula. We've been streaming live on my Facebook, and this will actually be permanently on that channel. Uh, and then we're going to push it to YouTube, and then we'll have audio versions of this on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And I'll send you those links as they get created. They have to kind of transfer. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's great to have you on the, on the program. It's cool. Like, and if, if once you have that project, I know it's in Italian, but we we can still talk about it. And, uh, yes, I'll and be we'll, happy to be back when yeah, we'd love to do that. the time comes. Yes, awesome. Thank you, Lula. Everybody go out and we're going to have the hyperlinks for this. Uh, we do show it right now and you can't click it, but um, you'll go out here and this is her, her Spotify. And if you click that, you'll get right into it and you'll listen to it and um, tell your friends and push it to everybody you know. If you dig it, like that's what people forget. Like if you dig an artist, let everybody you know understand how much you like <laughs> yeah yeah that's the best uh word to mouth yeah. yeah sharing music is a big part of the whole community of music so i think that's a, that's why we do this we kind of share mm -hmm. new artists with people so we're glad you're on the program thank you very much for thank being you. on thank you bye everyone have a good night <laughs>